0: at it and see what we do. Um, just as an overview, I want to your appetite to read. Uh, well, this is one of those that, if you have a study Bible, oftentimes uh, the cross-references are the most invaluable thing that you can get in the book of Jude, because it will take you back to, this is one of those that takes you back into the Old Testament and walks you around different, different stories, and also... Uh, or narratives in the, in the Old Testament Also kind of opening up some questions about things that uh, we were, you know, had questions about Like Michael the Archangel uh, and that kind of thing So let's kind of get into it and see where we're going The book of Jude, um, and for, you can read the outline if you want to that I've handed you uh, The book of Jude traditionally is, is associated with Jude, the Lord's brother as you know, in the Gospel of John, chapter seven, uh, that uh, the Lord's brother, the, his family, didn't believe him a, at that time. Uh, in the early part of his ministry, by the time you get to the crucifixion, uh, his mother is supportive, uh, and his family, having been concerned, you know, turn and they are probably among at this point uh, the those who are gathered at Pentecost. Uh, because later on, then we learned that in the church there in Jerusalem, there is James who becomes a pillar of the church as one of the Lord's half brothers, and then this is Jude also. So, having said that, as far as authorship, then it's, nobody ever disputed that it was something that belonged in the New Testament. What is interesting is how it's placed. If you if you look at your New Testament, that. Obviously, the Gospels go first because they're the, the they're the narrative of redemption, where Jesus comes as fulfillment of all of God's plan through the through Israel, and then how He grafts in the Gentiles, as Romans tells us, He grafts in the Gentiles. Uh, to that salvation as jesus says in john 10 that there are sheep of of other pasture that he brings with him and so you know this whole god so loved the world in general comes to comes to a full fruition or or completion maturity and he buys or or purchases our redemption on the cross by his blood that being said his resurrection then uh then frees us from the fear of death his his uh, crucifixion freeing us then from the punishment of sin now, if you look at the Gospels, then, you, then naturally the book of Acts follows as the as the extension of that, of what happens next. All right? So in the book of Acts you have uh, how the Spirit was poured out and how the message then goes into all the world from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Uh, Luke doing a refined job of showing how God's plan then uh, goes into all the world. Then the letters of Paul. Uh, and which would be, which is also, uh, I, I, I consider one of those, you know, just one of those divine things because in each of those missionary journeys that you read about in Acts, there are churches that are left behind that Paul writes to, and as he does so, he, he try or addresses the, the corrections that need to be made, encourages the faith that is growing, and actually sets up the second generation of Christians. With that, now that we don't have Jesus, whom we have not seen, and yet we believe, as Rodney read this morning, you know, how do you take that unseen Jesus, all right, and make him real in that next generation, and then make a practical application of that in our everyday life through our values, our morals, uh, and the way that we live in a world that doesn't like us? This is the most incredible thing that I've ever seen, uh, and it just uh, amazes me that there are people. Who have never seen Jesus. Who simply read about him. And their lives are changed. To such a point that they would lay down their life. For him. And his cause. Even though they've never seen an apostle. Never seen Jesus. Have never heard the voice of God. And all they have is is the the inspired Holy Word. Is that not incredible? That makes that Bible that you hold. Powerful. Don't let, don't let anyone ever tell you that, that those are just black words on white paper. Those are God's words. Right. And they are living, and they are active, and they are sharper, as we read, Is a two-edged sword, able to divide between soul and spirit, joint and marrow, laying us bare before God, and yet saving our souls. Now having said that, those letters then form a, a group uh, of, of writing then that is now what? How do we live now? As you get to the book of Hebrews uh, and and those those next set of letters, again, the the tone shifts. Okay, we're looking at probably the the latter part of that first century. These are people who had walked with Jesus, um, and they are writing now as well. And you you sometimes question, what would prompt someone to write? What would prompt someone to write? To, uh, to sit down and with God's inspiration, write to somebody else. What would be that important, right? And so important that we would say it. Hebrew writer comes along, and it's kind of one of those, those counterbalances, if you will, if the Pauline letters, the word letters written by Paul, are how do we live, and how do we face these situations that we're living in, and how do we do that together as a body of Christ? And the Hebrew writer says, now let's pull that together, right? Let's pull that together and say, Let's find our 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 history, our legacy, right from those Old Testament, from that Old Testament on into uh, on into then the person the of Christ, who is the the new covenant, okay, who makes the old obsolete, and now we live under the new, all right? Hebrews chapter nine, and in doing that, then the rest of those become one. James talks about being practical in our faith. First and Second Peter start hinting at that there there is there is this what's the best word? Uh, There is this creeping dissatisfaction with the truth. It's not enough just to believe in Jesus. but now we have to go, and uh, and, and these people are are going to come, and they're going to talk about different things. They're going to try to to um, what is the word we used to use soft soap? Remember? Okay, we used to talk about that. How people would soft soap the gospel, or, or water it down, you know, kind of thing, or they would apply it differently, or that kind of thing. And uh, I don't know where you grew up, but as I was growing up, uh, there were whole volumes written. About false teachers among us, you know, kind of thing. How beware of the false teachers? And and I believe that because in First in John, Second John, Third John, now in Jude, uh, there's the warnings. Hey, okay, Second Peter, First John, Second John, Third John, Jude. There are these warnings that there are people who come among us. He says, and they try to take others away with them, and they are, they're not sharing the gospel. Uh, they're not telling the truth. They're actually trying to to corrupt us, if you will, corrupt the, the way of life that we've lived uh, or that we know through Jesus. And it always has occurred to me, I guess you can say it this way, it occurs to me that I always wanted to know who those people were, All right? It's sort of like having a spy among you, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, someone from the other side who's kind of, you know, casting doubt, you know. Who ask questions that no one really knows the answer to? Except to say, "Well, it wouldn't be so bad, I guess." Yeah. Or we could do that, and it makes us suspect. You know what I mean? It makes us suspect to the point where we can be paranoid. Right. that's the real danger here. The danger I see in Second Peter, First, Second, and Third John, and Jude is this is is this temptation to paranoia. We're looking at everybody and saying, "Okay." That didn't come out quite the way I thought it should. So are you a false teacher? You know, kind of thing. And, you know, or, you know how do we do that? How do we know? Jude is, is one of those letters. But I think we need to take those and use them more as a guide. Okay? A truth. Okay? A barometer, if you will. Okay? Uh, of what's going on around us and among us. You walked outside today and it was uh, humid. Yes? Okay? And you can kind of feel the pressure building. You know what I mean? You can walk outside, you feel the pressure. You just knew something was going to happen. Well, it did. It rained, you know, uh, for just a little bit. And this is kind of the thing where Jude and uh, John and James and Peter are, are seeing the cloud, feeling the humidity build. It's not something you see, it's just something that you sense. All right? It, it kind of closes in rain. Something's going to happen. Okay? And we are in the middle of it, so where do we find ourselves? How do we know if we are, and, and, and that's always been my question too, how do we know if we're not the false teacher? You ever thought about that? Mm-hmm. We're, so, we're so big about pointing the fingers at everybody else that sometimes I think you know, perhaps we protest too much. Uh, maybe we're the false teacher. How would we know? Well, let's look at Jude. Okay, let's look at Jude. Because Jude starts and ends his short letter, okay? He starts and ends his short letter uh, by pointing us to the thing that we should believe most and foremost and most importantly, okay? So let's start in verses 1 and 2, and then I want to jump to verse 24. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are of the call, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Now, let's go to verse 24. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy... To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. How would we know that we're not the false teacher? First and foremost, that we believe that God is our salvation. It's not about our works. It's not about our achievements. More importantly, through Jesus Christ, He is our Lord, our Savior. He is the one who rules over all things. Okay. And as that, we have a common salvation, all right. And we are a part of what's called the faith, okay. not a faith, but the faith. All right, a faith, you know, just says pick and choose. Okay. Any, any 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 building on a corner, you know, and, and you're okay. Right. But it says the faith, right. and I don't know if you've ever made that distinction or not. but The faith says that there is a specific way. That God has delivered His message to us; that we walk in that way, And we stay true to that way. It is the way of the Word. It is the way of salvation. It is uh, the as Isaiah says the, the old paths. Okay, uh, kind of thing. It's it's not something that that we. It's not tradition. I, 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 I'm not saying that. It's not tradition, but it is tradition. Does that make sense? me explain That is It's kind of confusing. It is our tradition that we follow the Word of God. Okay? That is a decision that we have made for ages. That is a decision that we have made from generation to generation, as as Paul tells Timothy, that was handed down to us as taught to others who had handed it down to them. There are those who trade that truth for man-made traditions that have no basis in Scripture. They can't tell you why they do it. They just do it. And because of that, um, they have created a whole system, a whole (coughs) body of evidence, if you will, that supports what they do, That's entirely outside of the scriptures that we have. And that ought not to be. It corrupts because it divides. Paul's very big in Romans chapter 16. It says, that which causes divisions among you should be done away with. He says again in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I would that all of you be of the same mind. It says the same thing in Philippians chapter 1. It says the same thing over and over again in Philippians chapter 2. He goes on to say, I want you to be of the mind of Jesus, and that's to be unified. And everything else out there that doesn't have to do with the book. I know that we've often been ridiculed, criticized, because we don't do what everybody else does. The right? plain fact of the matter is, is that we have made it our conviction and our tradition simply to live by the book. It's pretty simple. Okay? Often uh, oftentimes it's one uh, but it's also very freeing. Somebody asked me while I was down at mom's um, a friend of hers came in, and she goes, "Why did you choose to be a preacher, you know, in the first place?" And I said, "You know, there was a time. And I'll confess this to you. There was a time in my younger years when I grew up in the church, All right? But I, um, I became curious, All right? So I looked around, attended some other places, you know, studied with some other people, okay, looked at other looked at other other things, um, and." I said, you know, I finally came to the decision that here, in a place like this, in places all over the world like this, that simply go by the Word of God, is a place where I am free from the dogmas, the doctrines, uh, and everything else, and I am just free to express my faith as I come to understand it through the Word of God. It is the most free experience that I know for, for someone who, who seeks to be a part of the faith that is God. It is why that I am not a member of the Church of Christ. I am a Christian. And I am a member of Christ's Church. Having said that, having said that, he goes on. Jude says, now, what are we looking for? And what does a false teacher look like, according to Jude? All right, so let's look at that. In chapter 1, I'm going to say verse 4. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our own Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Again, going against the authority of Jesus, establishing themselves with their own authority. So let's go to verse 8. Verse 8 says, Yet in the same way, these men also, by dreaming, defile the flesh, Reject authority and revile angelic majesty. Words, you know, the things of heaven. um, You know, we're going to to make, you know, we're going to be on the same same pages now. Verse 10. He says, but these men revile the things which they do not understand. And the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals. By these things they are destroyed. Verse 12. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your own love feast. When they feast with you without fear. Caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted. And then in verse 16, these are grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lust. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. And then in verse 19, it says, These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly minded, devoid of the spirit. You see the progression. Okay? First of all, let's cut the ties with authority second of all let's go back and let's question the things uh, of that, that we don't know to the point where we're questioning everything and then you go and you look at you can't just move that and so what they have is that now they are uh, they're thinking you know what anything goes so we are our own authority we are our own you know, our own, own way of doing things First, you go back and it kind of spirals down to because look at the look at what he says in verse, verse 12. They are hidden reefs, okay, and it's a, it's a nautical term that has to do with um, coral under the waves where where ships hit it and are sunk, okay? Paul talks about the shipwrecked faith, okay, of and so they're hidden, okay? Um, and they are caring only for themselves. And then he says, clouds without water, um, And then he says, carried along by wind, autumn trees without fruit, all right? The two, the two word pictures coming together saying they have big... Said, what is it? Um, when I went to uh, Louisiana, right out of college, came and I moved down to Slidell, and, uh, and, I, and I had this cowboy hat that I would wear, you know, kind of thing, because I was from Texas. And this lady stitched, cross-stitched me this thing and it said, big hat, no cow. Okay. Um, you know, so... It, but that's what he's talking about, okay? You know, a lot of talk, a lot, a lot of questions, a lot of, you know... Th- you know but there's nothing to it. There's nothing in their lives that shows the truth of the Spirit. That's what we're talking about. That's what you're looking for. You want to know what a false teacher is? It's someone who questions everything and produces nothing. There's the there's heart of the false teacher. They question everything, produce nothing, and in the end, verse 19 says, they cause divisions, they worldly-minded, devoid the of the Spirit. That's what a false teacher does. Now, what does that do? It's that shipwreck thing. It goes back to that. Right? When a false teacher, when a false teacher comes and he's given latitude, you know I mean? there are people who gravitate toward him. Right? And when that happens, then the shipwreck comes. You know, then it, it ruins congregation. Now, where do we want to be? Okay. How can we be a congregation where that doesn't happen? That's what I want to know, right? Because the best, the best offense is a good defense, I guess, um, and the best defense is good offense. I do you know, to say that. But the idea being that how do you, how do you prepare for something like that, where something like that comes in and it just really doesn't affect. You, know, you, you recognize them, move them right along, right out the door, kind of keep going. Now, how do we do that? Well, let's go back. Verse 3. He says, I was making you to, to, to write you about our common salvation. You know, contend, he says at the end of verse 3, contend that you contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all handed down to the saints. That has been explained to me, okay, and, I, and I see the wisdom in it. Is that the faith has been delivered to us? What is the faith? The faith is the gospel. Okay? My belief in the authority of God in my life, the sacrifice of Jesus for my sins, you know, my redemption by God's grace and my walk in his spirit. And as such, then nothing has changed about that message since time since time began. God ordained it, he accomplished it. It's fulfilled. It's done. I don't need anything added to that. I don't need a new interpretation. I don't need a, a fresh look at. I don't need it to, to apply differently. It's the same message. All right? I explained it this way one time to a group in Indiana. I said, you know, what's the difference between your cheating heart and achy-breaking heart? You remember the song. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, your cheating heart was just, you know, a generation, one generation. An achy, breaking heart was a new generation, but both of them had to deal with what? Broken hearts, right? Same message, okay? Each generation will take that message, and they'll use their words to explain it. But understand, okay, understand, the message never changes. That's the point. The message never changes. It is once for all delivered, Okay? As you can, as, as, as one psalm says, it's signed, sealed, and delivered. Right? We have the New Testament. It is ours, a covenant with God, and we live by that. We put our faith and our hope and our trust in it. Let's go to verse 17. In verse 17 it says, but you, beloved, now he's addressing not the false teacher's in all those Old Testament references, but you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, and he goes on and says, these things are going to happen. Okay, now, what's he saying there? Okay, remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about Apostolic authority. Okay? Those who were closest to Jesus, who walked and talked with him, whom he taught directly, empowered by his spirit, then, spirit spread, spread the gospel throughout the world. These are the ones who were the first martyrs for the faith. As such, then, when their writings came to us, we, 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 we treasured them, okay, because they were the words from Jesus Himself, from God's inspiration and Holy Spirit. When that happened, all right, we remember those. We live by those. We don't replace them. All right? We don't replace them. There may be some really knowledgeable people in the world today. And they study a lot of time, they spend a lot of time studying. And I admire them for that. But sometimes we spend way too much time (coughs) explaining how the car works rather than driving the car. Does that make sense? Okay. You see what I mean? God gave us this vehicle to go into the world and to pick up those who are dying in their sin and bring them to Jesus. Okay, and it's the gospel. And we spend way too much time sitting around talking about, well, you know, if this verb were parsed this way and this were turned this way, and this if we approach this from a cultural point of view, and we do this, you know, you can do all kinds of things like that, but you're spending more time explaining the car than you are driving the way I know to explain that. Remember the words of the apostles. If it worked for them, it works for us. And I know that sounds archaic. I know that it sounds out of step and non-cosmopolitan. Those are big words. You uh, know what I mean? But the bottom line is, is that, you know, So what's the old spiritual say? If it was good for Paul and Silas, it's good enough for me. Alright? Now, you're going to sit there and think, you know, Scott, you sound like you're a throwback to the 1950s. Actually, no. no. That's kind of the In a day and age when everybody's believing anything that anybody says, it's kind of nice to have an anchor point, isn't it? It's kind of nice to have something that's solid, I can stand on, and it remains the same and has for centuries. Now he says in verse 20, from 20, 20 through 23. But you, again, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord (coughs) Jesus Christ to eternal life, and have mercy on some who are doubting, save others, (coughs) snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, even the garment polluted by flesh. What are we supposed to do? Let's get in the car. Okay, Drive the car. How do you do that? He says, first of all, he says, you work on building yourself up in the faith. You pray. You you keep yourself in the love of God. You don't lose sight of the end game. Okay, Anxiously for the appearing of our Lord. Okay, um, And then, while we're doing that for ourselves, and a lot of us stop there, he says, no, no. No, no. You don't stop there. Let's move forward. He said, you go out and you touch the lives of other people. In verse twenty-one, he says, or twenty-two, he says, "Now you show mercy, okay, to the doubter. You save others, snatching them out of the fire. You know, show mercy without fear, okay, and that means sometimes that we've got to weigh in. and we've got to take some people by the hand." If i you know, whatever. Sometimes you just go in and you put your arm around it and say, you know, we don't need to be here. We need to be over here together. All right? We need to come back home. And I believe that with all my heart. Sometimes they don't want to come. I get that. Sometimes we have to look and we just, you know. I think Jude's message is very important to me anyway because... It's that mercy thing. You show them mercy. Too many times I think we just write people off. They haven't been here in months. They you know, they uh, they said some ugly things about the church or the people in the church. Or they don't care anymore about going to church or worshiping God or putting the Lord at the center of their life kind of thing. So we just write them off. We have judged them, you know, and... and absent, okay? We've judged them absent. I think James here is, is saying, or Jude here is saying, don't give up on them. Don't give up on them. Boots Davis and I used to have this funny <coughs> argument in ladies' class. When she worked at the floor, she would say, Scott, why do you keep all those dead-looking plants in your office? Okay. And, and for a while there, I did have these scraggly-looking plants kind of like that I would water once a week, if I remember. Uh, and they were just kind of, you know, kind of thing. I said, so why? She said, I just get rid of them. And she said, I'll bring you some more. And I said, well, no, these were given to me by, you know, certain people. But, uh, she goes, no. She said, just let me bring you some new. ones just throw those away. I said, I just can't give up on them. She goes, I don't understand. You know, and she said, looks like you just cut your losses and go. And that's how a lot of people, and not, not that she's that way, but just the, the whole, that whole lot of thought, is some people see people in the church. Okay? They're not here, so we just. That's done. We'll move on. Go on, somebody else. Jude's saying, "We can't give up on. It. We can't give up on. It. Never give up on a child of God." And pray that someday God opens the door where we are, have the opportunity to lead them home. And I pray for that. I live for that. Um, and I think Jude would say, "That's our job." Now, if we're busy doing that, if we're busy building ourselves up, if we're busy praying about that, if we're busy praying about being strong in the faith, if we're busy about um, walking in the Spirit, if we're busy about you know, showing this mercy to people and keeping the door open for them to come back you know, from the error of their ways, if we're busy about you know, being careful about how we, how we live in the truth okay, given to us once and for all, the faith that we've been given, if we're busy with that, we don't have a whole lot of time for that. Or anything else do we? Isn't that the point? So we can live with confidence. I think Jude is less a warning to paranoia, it less that, and more an encouragement that you people have what it takes. Now get out there and live like God wants you to. And these other people, you can see what happens to them all through scripture. Cain and Balaam and and angels and Sodom and Gomorrah and all these other examples that he uses. He says, you know what? Did you see what happens to them? Yeah. Their end and their destruction are already talked about and they're going to meet their faith. You, you stay true to the faith. You pray earnestly for the faith once we're all delivered and God will take care of us. Amen. And I believe that's what Jude says. Next week, next week, yeah, next week, we're going to tackle Revelation in 30 minutes. All right, so, and that will. <laughs> you think that's tricky, you know? I did Psalms in 40. <laughs> yeah, I have no clue what it is. Yes, I did. I had that clue. Um Thank you for for your attention tonight. The invitation is simply this, that uh, be the person who recognizes false teaching when it happens and avoids it, okay, repels it. But be the person that God uses to open the door for others to return to the faith once for all delivered that is ours because He has dominion over our life and we are His servants. If you're here tonight, you need to be baptized the repent of sin we can help you in you can Come to the front and make your knee known. James will lead us in this song and you'll come as we sing.